Hey guys, this is Brett. I'm the lead pastor at Engage City Church right here in Spruce Grove, Alberta, Canada. Thanks for taking some time out of your schedule to listen. We love you and we hope you enjoy this. This is a message called Daily Bread. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see, the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. This is the behind-the-scenes footage of how this world works. There are things that we can see, and there are things that we cannot see. Ephesians 6 puts it this way. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. There is a struggle, good and evil, light and dark, all those things that happen in all the movies, all those things uh, maybe not happen in that way, but they are real. There is a struggle, and you are in the midst of a struggle. If, if you've been in the midst of a struggle, say, preach. See, it's, it's, it's just true. You've been in the midst. You feel like you got the little angels or devils on the shoulder. That's a real, real thing. But thank God, Jesus gave us some tools and weapons to deal with those things. We can, we can pretend or we can feel like that unseen world doesn't, that doesn't exist, like it's only the tangible stuff that exists. But the truth is, if we do that, we live naive. And God doesn't want you to live oblivious or naive. He wants you to live with your eyes wide open, aware of all the things and all the factors. In fact, behind every natural battle, there is a spiritual struggle. That's just how the world works. And so we've got some tools and some weapons to address those things. Does anyone want a tool or a weapon today? All right, they're, but they're freezies, not swords. So although you could use them as lightsabers, it will not work in a real battle. But Jesus did give us this one tool that we've been talking about very, very specifically called prayer. Now, every time we talk about prayer, people generally uh, roll their eyes either on the inside or the outside. Yes, I can tell when you're rolling your eyes on the inside, trying not to do it. Your, your posture changes. The way you listen changes. But that's fine. I'm not judging you. Jesus is. So it's fine. <laughs> it's true. At the end of time, not now. It's fine. He's for you, not against you. Relax. Relax. But he gives us this tool of prayer as an open communication. Uh, When we think about prayer, Jesus wanted us to think about it in a very specific way. He wanted us to approach it in a specific manner. Uh, All throughout the Old Testament, the the whole first chunk of the Bible, when people came to God in prayer, it was generally through animal sacrifice and ritual. And when Jesus came, he changed everything. He said, we don't approach God in, in sacrifice and ritual. We approach God because of the sacrifice that Jesus made. We approach him as our dad, as our spiritual father our heavenly father that's how we talk he says therefore pray in this way and when jesus says therefore pray in this way guess what we should do pray in this way it's an important thing he says therefore pray in this manner our father in heaven hallowed be your name last week we talked about this this last these first couple of verses here this beginning section our father in heaven we can relate to our god through prayer like we relate uh, to our own natural earthly fathers now big asterisks. Some of us have not had a great journey or relationship with our dad. And so that can color or taint uh, 
any of this stuff because you hear these words, our Father, and it's like you just cringe. You're like, no, I don't want to see that. I can't see God in that way because that person or that man has hurt me. Can I tell you that that person or that man is not who your Heavenly Father is? And in fact, your Heavenly Father is everything you've ever wished or hoped or dreamed of in a dad. And if you would let him in your life in that way, you will find fulfillment in that. So we don't have to be afraid of approaching God in this way. In fact, I believe that if you've never had that influence in your life, you've never had a good dad, that as you draw near to God, that he will actually begin to fill in all those blanks. He will begin to satisfy the deepest parts of your heart. You're like, how is that possible? Miracles, people. (laughs) Miracles. And it actually is a miracle when God can close in those. What is happening right now? The Lord liked that twice. (laughs) Twice he liked that. He's like, yeah, I'm a good, good father. And so he, ding, ding. (laughs) He is on it, probably says phone. But uh, this is how we pray. When I was in college, I, uh, I went to Bible college in Edmonton, and I lived in my parents' basement with my friend Jaron. And what we did... Uh, for about a week and a half early in our college career. Oh, it's Katie's the culprit. But Seb's text messaging. So you thought he was taking notes on that phone. The Bible says, be sure your sins will find you out. I'm just going to leave it there. Okay? Okay? Is texting in church a sin? Now it is. Depends on your heart, and if your heart intended evil like this man's, then... (laughs) All jokes aside, when I was in Bible college, I, uh, we have a guy in our church to this day named Phil. Phil sits in the back. He's one of our sound guys, and he has five kids, which is a miracle, uh, because how anyone survives with five kids, I don't know. Every day is literally a miracle. But in college, Phil was young. And he lived in the penthouse suite of an apartment building. I mean, it was the ghetto, and it was dangerous, and you shouldn't leave your car there for more than three hours. But he lived in a penthouse suite right near college. So what we would all do is go to Phil's house because he lived by himself, not with parents. Now, you may be judging me for living with my parents in college, but it was free, and the food was free, and the fridge was always full. And so you live there as long as you can. Uh, (laughs) but we felt like we had a different plan, so we all would go to Phil's, and for about a week and a half, every single day, I mean, because let's be honest, university is actually easy, uh, because everyone's working so hard, but they got two classes a day, but uh, it's funny because it's true. You get a job, and you're like, wow, that was simple. Um, So many people offended already. Um, so we would go to our one and a half classes a day because you'd sleep through the first half of the first class, then go to your second class, and we'd all go to Phil's house, order Pizza 73, and binge watch 24. This is before Netflix when you actually had to own the physical DVDs, and not only did he own the physical DVDs, but he was the only person in that era, this is dating me, who I knew who actually owned a legit big screen TV. 
So a whole bunch of dudes would go to this apartment, which had a rooftop patio, but we were not aware that rooftop patios were cool at the time. So we did not use this amenity. We just felt it was dangerous. So it's what we did. We watched 24 and we binge watched Pizza 73. And we would do that from about 11 in the morning all the way through till we had to go to church at night for, uh, you know, we were in youth ministry, you know, music ministry, all these different things. We'd leave at about six o'clock or maybe 530. And then we'd come back at about nine o'clock, order Pizza 73 again, watch 24 from about 9.15 all the way through until about 2.45, go to bed, mostly falling asleep during the last episode, so we'd have to recap the next morning, and then go to school and do it all again. We did that for about a week and a half, until which my dad, who always had these meaningful guiding conversations at the end of supper, mainly because he knew we were coming for free food, and that was the only time he could lock us in, sat me down and said, son, let's have a conversation. And he always does it right when you're finished, just before you're about to get up, just before you feel like you made it, like made it away scot-free. He always knows the right time. You're like about to stand up. He's like, sit down. And then he rips your soul apart and puts it back together. And by the end, you actually feel good about it. And I don't know how he did that because when I try it, people just think I want to kill them. So I don't know how he did it, but he did it. And he said, listen, uh, you're living here. You're going to college. You're getting an education. You will be in this house by 11 o'clock at night, and you will be out of school, and you will go. You will not go to Phil's house and watch 24 every night. You will come back here, and you're not going to eat pizza 73 24 hours a day. You're going to come back here, and you're going to get an education. You're going to live a good life and not fail. And I was like, okay. So that means I should stay here tonight, is what you're trying to say. He's like, yeah, stay here now. And I'm like, okay, great, let's do that. My dad would have these conversations with me. And the truth is, when we approach prayer, it's like having a kitchen table conversation with your dad. That's what prayer is. It's not scary. It's not ethereal. It's not way out there. Prayer is a kitchen table conversation with the one person in the universe who loves you more than you love yourself who knows you better than you know yourself. The one person in the universe who actually handcrafted you and is actually responsible for you. That one person who already knows what you need before you ask him, how do I know that? Because the Bible says it in Matthew 6, verse 8. That's the guy that we talk to and we have these conversations with. And as we do that, he begins to change our lives on every angle because as we begin to talk, things begin to change. Inside of me, and all around me. So you're like, wow, maybe prayer doesn't sound so bad. No, it doesn't sound so bad. So Jesus said, when you pray, pray in this way. Before he said that, though, he said, there's two ways, there's two things you shouldn't do. This is what prayer is not. Prayer is not you putting on a public spectacle somewhere, showing everybody how spiritual you are by praying. Because if that is your approach to prayer, that is all the reward that you will ever get. Somebody else thinking you're spiritual. That's it. And I'm not, that's not me saying it, that's Jesus Christ, okay? Jesus Christ saying, listen, if, if your whole goal is to show people how spiritual you are by praying and praying in public, then what you need to know is that is your reward. That one kind of smacks you a little bit. Then he says, you know what prayer is not? He says, prayer is not you reciting the same phrase in, rep- in repetitious manners, babbling on like other religions. And that's Jesus, mic drop moment, not mine. He says, listen, other people do that. Other religions, other faiths do that. That's not what this is. This isn't a magic formula. If you say this one word 72 times and you will manifest good things, that's not how this works. This is not, Jesus is not a cosmic genie in the sky waiting to delight you. As much as we would like that to be true. 
He is not a spiritual slot machine. Prayer is not a spiritual slot machine where we throw in a few requests and throw in a few quarters and pull the thing and just see if we would get three cherries and win a prize. He said, that's not what this is. What this is is a conversation with our heavenly father, with our dad. This is a real deal conversation, and he already knows what you need before you even ask it. So why don't you just sit down, son, and ask? James 1 says, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. He's not going to get mad at you for asking. He's not trying to blow you up with a lightning bolt. He's not. He's not conspiring against you. If he is conspiring against you, he's conspiring against you for good, to take all those things that you screwed up along the way and make them work together for your good. That's who God is. So it is a conspiracy, a conspiracy of mercy, grace, and it's defined by compassion. So when you come and you have this table talk conversation, we start like this. We say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name, which in 21st century English sounds like, hey, Dad, I love you. Thank you for being you. Then he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, which in 21st century language is translated, hey, God, how do I handle this situation, number one, and how do I do it your way? That's what prayer is. And these are my words. You can use your own words because this isn't about following a guide, uh, sorry, following specific language or verbiage. This is about a guideline. And we're just trying to extrapolate how this works practically in our lives. But this brings us to this next line, which has brought a lot, about a, a lot of confusion for some people. It says, give us this day our daily bread. Now, oftentimes we can get a little, you either are like all into this. You're like, yeah, Lord, give me all the things right now. See, he told me I could ask him for all the stuff. We either go that way or we go the other way. We go, man, I don't know if God, God is so busy. You know, he's got a big beard to maintain. And... Uh, that takes time. It's white and it's long, and uh, that sash is always perfect and white, and I don't know how he does that. So we're like, I, you know, we probably shouldn't bother God with anything because I don't know if he actually cares about me or cares about my situation. So we either approach it like, yes, I'm going to hit the jackpot with Jesus. I'm going to tell him everything. He's going to give me everything. Or we say, no, God can't give me anything because he's too busy. He doesn't care about me. But Jesus breaks that myth, and he says, this is what we pray. Give us this day our daily bread our daily bread. Now, we know that God has a track record of providing food for people. <laughs> he just does. In Exodus, uh, so let's go to 1 Kings first. In 1 Kings, there's a guy named Elijah. He's on the run. He's God's chosen man. He's a prophet. He speaks the word from God. He's running away from the, an evil king and queen. And uh, in 1 Kings uh, chapter 17, he kind of has this moment where uh, God's like, go over here to this brook. I'm going to take care of you. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and stayed by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. So there's this guy, Elijah, he's living by, literally living in the bush, like Alaskan bush people, living in the bush by a stream, and the birds would come and give them food from their mouth. Now, I don't know if they put it on the ground or if he was like, and they like dropped it in. Either way, eating something from a bird is gross, okay? But if it comes from God, it's supernatural. You're probably safe, okay? So uh, God, we know that God can provide food for people. So is, is when we say, give us this day our daily bread, are we just expecting like birds to drop bread in our backyard? Maybe. Maybe. Exodus chapter 16, we know that this 
other moment happened where the Israelites, they escaped Egypt, and they're living in the midst of a desert, wandering around, because they can't figure out that the promised land is literally two kilometers that way. And uh, they're living in confusion, and God says, I'm going to provide for you. So he provides them water from a rock, miracle. Then they're like, God, we're hungry. We have nothing to eat. They just kind of forgot that they had herds of sheep, goats, cows, all with them. So why they didn't eat the things that they brought with them, we'll never know. But they say, God, we're hungry. We need to eat something. Make, give us something. And he said, fine, I'll give you this thing called manna. Now, manna, you're like, what is manna? That's a great question. Manna, that word is transliterated from Hebrew into Greek, then Greek into English. And what it really means is, what? Manna really means like, what is this stuff? Because God gave them this bread. And guess what? It showed up on the ground in the morning. God loves putting food on the ground for people, apparently. And they're like, God, this is great that you gave us this bread. This is amazing. Pita, flatbread, amazing. Tastes like honey. So good. Thank you, God, but it's not enough. Couldn't you give us some meat as well? He's like, fine, I'll give you some meat too, you ungrateful fools. That evening, quail came and covered the camp. And in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. The people of Israel called the bread manna. It was white like coriander seed and tasted like wafers made with honey. Ooh, honey bread from Jesus. Sounds delightful. See, Jesus has a track record of providing food for people. You might remember this account where there's 5,000 men, so when you add in the women and children, there's 15,000 people listening to Jesus talk all day on a hillside. Jesus is in a boat, and he's talking up into this natural amphitheater in the mountains, and he's talking really loud, and the disciples are like, stop, shut her down, too long. It was eight hours long. Now, we can try that one Sunday, but nobody will be left by the end. They're like, Jesus, you need to let these people go, plus we're tired of this. So could you let them go? They need to go eat food. Everything's going to be closed. And he says, he turns to his disciples literally and goes, well, you feed them. And they're like, no. (laughs) How do we do that? We don't have enough cash. We don't have enough money. He's like, I've given you everything that you need to just go feed these people. They're like, no, we can't do it. So Jesus found the one kid who brought Lunchables to the thing. He said, bring up that kid. He takes his Lunchables, blesses it, breaks it, and all of a sudden there's Lunchables for 15,000 people. And by the time the disciples got to the end, there was one for each of them. They each had a doggy bag left from Jesus. Everyone had takeout, except for Jesus. He didn't make one for himself. Do you know that? So God has this track record of providing food for people, but is that all that this is about? Is that all that we're talking about when we pray, give us this day, our daily bread? God just bread's going to magically show up on my lawn at some point? Is that, is that what, we're, what we're praying? Or maybe you're on the other side of the, the fence. You know, we know that in John chapter 6, uh, verse 35, Jesus said to them, I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never be thirsty. So we know that, that, that not only does Jesus have a track record of providing natural, physical food, but he's also got a track record of meeting our emotional and our spiritual needs so that when he says, I'm the bread of life, he doesn't mean like literally like eat him because that's gross. He literally means that he is enough. He's enough in every area of our life, that he is enough for my mental situation. He's enough to overcome my anxiety because my anxiety is not based on anything other than not trusting in Jesus. 
I know that because just one verse earlier, or 10 verses earlier, it says, Jesus answered them, most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and you were filled. And verse, uh, Matthew chapter six says, look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly father feeds them. And aren't you more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? Jesus can take care of you in every area of your life, naturally, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. Jesus can take care of every single one of your needs. So the question becomes, how does he do it? How does he do it? In Psalm 145, Scripture says this, when you open your hands, speaking of God, when you open your hands, you satisfy the hunger and thirst of every living thing. How does he do it? We know that he's put systems and structures in place in the, in the universe, in the natural order of things to take care of even the smallest of sparrows. You know, it's a circle of life. I don't know the rest of the song. That's all I know. If, if anyone's a Disney buff, Lauren, you could probably come and finish it for us. But uh, he's put this whole system in place to take care of the entire earth. So don't you think that if, if Jesus was smart enough to put a system in place to be able to feed and nourish the entire world, like every living thing, don't you think that he has the ability to take care of you? So that how does he do it? He, he takes care of us in a very, very simple way. But it requires a change of perspective for you and for me. When we think about our daily bread, what are we thinking about? God, give us this day our daily bread. What are we thinking about? Are you thinking about a specific need? Are you thinking about something actually like literally bread? Are you praying every day for bread? Because if that's the case, there's a miracle called Cobbs, and you can go there. Um, (laughs) When we think about daily bread, we have to think about more than just bread. We have to expand our thinking around it. Martin Luther put it this way. I'm just going to read it to you because it's better than if I said it myself. When you pray for daily bread, you are praying for everything that contributes to your having and enjoying your daily bread. You must open up and expand your thinking so that it reaches not only as far as the flour bin and baking oven, but also out over the broad fields, the farmlands, and the entire country that produces, processes, and conveys to us our daily bread and all kinds of nourishment. Meaning, when we begin to pray for our daily bread, and if we are praying for natural bread, that we're not just praying for that bread then. We're praying for the whole system and structure that brings us bread. So God, thank you for that farmer who's out there seeding a field. Thank you for the farmhands who are working for the farmer uh, so that he can do that. Thank you for the guy who sold the farmer the tractor so that the farmer can get in there and drive the tractor. Thank you for the combine. Thank you for the person, the mechanic who put that machinery together. Thank you for the harvesters. Thank you, God, that that bread gets processed and gets sent somewhere. Thank you for the people who actually sell that grain, Tracy. Thank you. You know, Lord, thank you for providing somebody somewhere to buy that grain, turn it into bread, put it in an oven. Thank you for Save On Foods, for employing people who make bread in the morning. Thank you, God, that there's a manager in that department who's thankful for their employees and who treats them well. Thank you, God, for the person who works for the grocery chain who actually handles the marketing of said bread, who, though they work at a desk in an office somewhere programming a website is doing your work, God, by providing us our daily bread. See, we have to expand our understanding of how God provides for us because did you notice in the phrase it says, give us this day our daily bread. 
It wasn't give us this day my daily bread. It's a plural word. It's a plural phrase. There's a collective nature to the goodness of God where he doesn't just take care of me, but he takes care of us. And he takes care of us through each one of us. If we go all the way back to Acts chapter 2 in the Bible, this is considered by many to be the greatest time in Scripture, the early church. Everyone's like, I want to go back there. There There's thousands of people who are coming to the church daily. It was exciting. There's miracles. There's all these kinds of things. Yes, they were also being burned alive (laughs) for that faith. So we can go back there. Just know what you're getting into. But there was something specific that marked that generation of people. And it was a radical, irrational generosity. See, when we're, especially in Western Canada, and if you happen to fall uh, more on a conservative side of the political spectrum, not to get political on us today, but we really struggle with this portion of scripture because it reads to us a lot like communism. Because people would take all their things and they would sell them and then they would pool their money. And we think, well, that's just them. They're just living in this weird, socialistic, communistic kind of idea. But can I tell you that God is bigger than government systems? He's bigger than politics. This was not communism. This was not socialism. This is me helping take care of my friend because I knew that Carmel needed braces and I had an extra TV and she needed cash. So I sold my TV and I gave her all the cash so she could go get what she needed. That's just called people taking care of one another. That's not called communism. It's not called socialism. It's called radical generosity. So when we come to our Heavenly Father and we say, God, give us this day our daily bread, our daily bread. We're not just praying for us, but we're praying for people in our spheres. Hey, God, we know that Carmel has need of this thing. God, can you help her with that? Could you help her with that? Can you help her with that? Is there any way you could get involved in that situation? And more often than not, the more we pray that prayer, the more he begins to whisper, hey, echoing the words he shared with his disciples, could you take care of that? Could you take care of that? Like, God, I thought you were supposed to provide supernaturally. It's like, I am. That check in the mail has to come from somewhere. (laughs) It has to come from someone. That fistful of cash at just the right time, at just the right moment, it came from somebody. You say, God, but I thought it was just a miracle. I thought it was just transported from heaven into my bank account. No, that's probably fraud. (laughs) Please don't spend that. this whole spiritual thing of God providing for people's needs. No, I'm going back to God's original intent. You know, in the very beginning where God would walk and talk with people in the cool of the day in the garden, and they would talk about their day where God intended to do life together with us, where we were literally an extension of who he was and who his heart is and what his heart is. So give us this day our daily bread. It's not us abdicating our responsibility. It's us taking a new responsibility on that says, God, I'm here to take care of those who can't take care of themselves because that's who you are and I want to be more like you. God, would you break our heart for what breaks yours? Would you give us a desire to reach out and take care of those who cannot take care of themselves? You know what's interesting about Jesus feeding the 5,000? 
Not that it was actually 15,000, not that it was Lunchables, not that it was fish, not that it was any of those things. The most interesting thing about that whole encounter is the reason why Jesus did it. Because the Bible says that when Jesus saw that crowd, he was moved with compassion. He was moved with compassion. I wonder how many of us have allowed our life circumstances to harden up our hearts so that when we see something or we see a situation, our default mode is, no, I'm not going to give you money. You should go get a job. I have a job and I'm working hard for this and I'm not going to give that to you because I did this and this is mine. So our default mode is closed off. Our default mode is, no, I'm going to take care of myself and you take care of yourself. And if you're not taking care of yourself, then you are a broken individual. Exactly. And broken people need uh, people who can help them be put back together. And the only person who can really put anybody back together is Jesus. And Jesus is asking you to be his hands and feet. Jesus is asking you to be a beacon of hope, which means you're on the front lines. So when somebody's broken in front of you, we don't turn our backs and walk away because I work hard and you don't. We turn towards them. We're overcome with compassion because that's what Jesus looks like. That's how Jesus sees. That's how Jesus talks. And we say, hey, you know what? Even though I might not have a lot, here's what I do have. Lord, give us to stay our daily bread. God, help me take care of me. And as I take care of me, help me take care of this person and this situation and this circumstance. See, your generosity is not defined by the tax receipt that you get at the end of the year. Your generosity is defined by your daily interaction. And as we say, God, give us our daily bread, he begins to teach us that our daily bread is is him. He's our life. And that if we trust him, all the things are going to start working out. But he's going to start stretching us, stretching us beyond our comfort, stretching us beyond what what feels good or looks good or sounds good. He's going to transform us from the inside out, remaking us into his image, which was the plan all along. Because at the beginning of scripture, it says that man was created in, in his created in his image, which means he's just breaking off and knocking away the hard shell to get to who you really are, who you were really created to be. Yeah, Jesus is the bread of life. He's our nourishment. And now he asks us, will you work with me to change somebody's life?
and a purpose for you. And I know that it's not a mistake that you were listening to this message today. So if you want to reach out, if you need someone to talk to, feel free to send us an email. Hello at engagechurch.ca. Uh, if you want to learn more about our church, you want to come check us out live and in person uh, for the real deal, then get all the information online at engagechurch.ca. I'm Brett. Have a great day. Thank you so much for listening. And if you're running or you're at the gym right now, you got this. Go get it.